0: Good morning. Let's take our Bibles. Let's go to Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. It's good to see you. Hadn't been here in a couple weeks. Been preaching, and always appreciate you guys um, allowing uh, sending out um, people from our church. And but me a lot. And uh, always remember that when we send people out to share the word, um, we as a church are blessed because of that. And what's cool is today, uh, Brandon Sorel, who's a member here, and. Sings with our praise team. He's preaching at West Laurel Baptist Church this morning. And so uh, we're just able to continue to uh, allow people from our church to minister the word in, in many places. And I mean, that in itself is is, uh, is ministry, of course. And uh, so, so take... Uh, Take heart in that this morning, and, and really thankful that we can continue to do that. Mr. Jimmy Fowler grabbed me this morning, and uh, he wasn't talking about wrestling, which is usually what what we talk about on Sunday mornings, right, Mr. Jimmy? But he's back. He had surgery, and uh, Miss Annette's been taking care of him. He wanted to say thanks, church family, for uh, for loving on him, and uh, he's back to help. Good to see you this morning, bro. Glad glad you're doing well. Please continue to pray for Miss Dana. Um, she's back in Jackson, and uh, we just need to pray for the Lord to, to work in... Um, in her life in her body and uh, let's continue to pray for Courtney and Will and Alex and and Josh as they as they minister uh, to to their mom Acts chapter 17 um as you're continuing to flip, there' big night tonight for us. Uh, we got a family meeting at five o'clock. Um, some exciting stuff from uh, from our next point team. Of course, uh, we got some new members to introduce to you guys, so that's really cool. Um, financial report, all that stuff tonight. Uh, our administrative ministry teams that we've been uh, we we propose to you as a church. We will be uh, voting on them tonight as well. And then right after that, we got a family fall fest. The corn dog truck is going to be here. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, it's going to be fun. It's going to be a great night. If, uh, small groups, we need you to, to set up your stuff and your, your games. Kind of be done with that around 4.30 so that everybody can be in here um, for the family meeting starting at 5. If you're not a member of Point, please come to, to, to uh, Family Fest tonight. Uh, we will begin 5.45, 6 o'clock, and it will roll till 8 o'clock. Free candy. Free corn dogs. Can I just emphasize that again? Like, that's just its really good. It's been, what, three weeks, two weeks since the fair? So, yeah, we had not had a good corn dog in a couple of minutes. It's actually, it's our good friend, uh, Nathan, that makes those at the fair. So, anyway, excited about that. Acts chapter 17 um, is where uh, we're going to be this morning. We'll try to get through the rest of the chapter. Justin got us to verse 21. Last week and uh, where, where are we? We're in Athens. Paul has in Acts chapter 16 with the help of Silas and Timothy and Luke The church at Philippi has been planted. Luke stays behind and Paul and Silas and Timothy Continue praise God into Europe. And This is why we're here this morning, right? Because the gospel went west and as we prayed for a people group in China today The gospel has come to us and guess what? It's our responsibility To take it now to people who have never heard But Paul and Silas and Timothy did that, they went to Thessalonica, start up a stink after three Sabbaths, that's what the gospel does, they went to Berea, Justin walked us through that a few weeks ago. And then we get to to Athens, and Justin walked last week, this is city, obviously Rome is the center of the empire, but but Athens is the philosophical and intellectual, continues to be capital of the world. And... It was just in in literature and art and nothing surpassed Athens. Do you remember last week, Justin walked us through how Paul, he wasn't overwhelmed or impressed with the facade of Athens because all of their beauty magnified the fact that they were in darkness. That they had created... What they believed to be their own creators. Last week in verse 16, we found out the city was full of idols. Justin said it this way. Paul wasn't impressed by them, but he was oppressed by how the Athenians used their God-given artistic creativity, not for good, but for idolatry. You remember in verse 16 last week, That verb that Justin brought out to us was his spirit. Paul's spirit was provoked. It was greatly distressed. It continued to be distressed. And what I find this morning is Paul didn't walk around and get into his little Christian subculture because there was none at the time and complain about how the world had gone to hell and we just, you know, need to get prayer back in schools and everything will be fixed. Paul didn't complain about the darkness. Paul fired up a light. (laughs) And I think oftentimes, and I say this for me first, because we live here, because we live in the South where probably the last remnants of, you know, um, a a Christian, quote, culture, the, the last remnants, I emphasize last very often, there is morality at least in the sense where everybody salutes the system but that facade is is rotten and it doesn't take long just walking around just to see how pagan our culture is as well we don't you know raise statues to Zeus and Aphrodite we just fill football stadiums and paint our chests like people that we make fun of on National Geographic channel right and I've told y'all this before like how do you make it through the week um, based off Uh, how 18- to uh, 22-year-olds perform on Saturday. And Southern Miss plays Mississippi State this week. By the way, may the worst team win, okay? So anyway, that's where we all are this morning, all right? But we can easily find ourselves in Athens. The problem is Paul walked around and was provoked by it, and I oftentimes myself walk around and I'm numb to it. And the challenge for the church in our day is to not complain about a culture. The world's going to hell like it always has been. The question is, are you and I provoked in our spirits like Paul was? So Justin brought us last week. This is where he said Paul did something about it. And what did Paul do? He reasoned in the synagogue. He reasoned in the marketplace. He, he, he attempted to interact with people. And as a result, he gets snatched up and he gets brought before um, kind of the Intelligentsia, the elite, the the dudes with all the high IQs, and he's not on trial, but he's—they're basically saying, "Tell us what in the world you're talking about." He actually—they call him a babbler, right? So he comes and pick up in verse twenty-two is his message in Athens. It says that he was standing in the midst of the Areopagus and. That could have actually been Mars Hill itself, or it could have been uh, a place where the intelligentsia of the philosophers met. Standing in the midst of the Arapagus, he said, so all this in this passage culminates, the provoking, the reasoning, all of this leads up, and this is why, because, sorry, I, I got you to look at your Bible and put on your glasses, and now, hold on just a second you got to realize in the book of Acts, Luke records several messages, right? We've had that. Peter's message at Pentecost, right? Um, There's uh, the message of Cornelius. I'm probably skipping some. There's some messages in front of the Sanhedrin. The message from Peter to Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. The message um, in Asia Minor in Acts chapter 14. The message in the synagogue in Acts chapter 13. Luke records these for a bunch of reasons, but primarily that we may know what was said. And this is a big deal because think about where we've been moving the first message recorded in Acts is to Jews at Jerusalem. And then you've moved on to different messages in a Jewish context, in a synagogue, a, a, a hybrid context of Jews and Gentiles. We are now completely Gentile. Here it is. And Paul has a hearing, if it were, before uh, the most intellectual, well-respected philosophers of his day. All right, verse 22, saying in the midst of the Areopagus, he said, men of Athens I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, quote, to the unknown God, unquote. What therefore you worship is unknown, this I proclaim to you, the God who made the world and everything in it. Being Lord of heaven and earth does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps fill their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each of us for, quote, in him we live and move and have our being, unquote. And even some of your own poets have said, quote, for we are indeed his offspring, unquote. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he... "...has fixed the day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. But others said, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst. But some men joined him and believed. Among whom also were Dionysius the Areopagite and a woman named Demarius, and others with them." What a great passage of scripture, amen. I mean, I te- technically, if we read from Leviticus, you're still supposed to say, "What a great passage of scripture," right? But I mean, that's a this is a great passage of scripture. This is front lines missionary activity, all gospel, and I want us to think through Paul's message, what he does, how he does it, and I just be honest here. I mean, there's probably more commentaries, Bible studies and source of sermon material, then like we could spend like, like tons of time here. So we're just gonna have to leave some stuff out, okay? But if you like so pick up on something that we, haven't, we don't talk about, like please come tell me because I guarantee you I missed it, okay? So like I wanna be edified by it. But let, let's, let's look at this message, what's going on and what he is doing. I want you to see first this morning where Paul went. That's important. Now Justin, last week, walked us through, in in a great way, Paul's interaction with the city, the the provoking inside of him, the the being stirred up, being bothered, being hurt, the fact of of the idolatry. and I'm reminded one time of what Paul Washer said. He said, man, there ought to be some nights where the Lord, if he were to keep us up, that we might pace in our study and think about all the places where Christ is not worshipped, and it should grieve us, Right? There's a place where he is not worshipped. But I want us to think in this way, just on the surface level, where Paul went. Because I think there's some deep application and mindset change that the church in Jones County, the church in America, and everywhere needs to see. I want you to see first, he went to where people were. and If I can just go back last week into last week's text, where was he? He was in the synagogue. Where was he? He was in the marketplace. Let me just share with you a revolutionary concept that is so deep and so amazing that you'll be blown away. People only hear the gospel when you're around them. (laughs) They're supposed to amaze you. You're supposed to fall down. We miss that, don't we? What's the one characteristic of Paul's entry strategy into every city? He got around people. Even when back in chapter 16 that he's not knowing where to go, guess what? He's attempting to go. We will never be able to impact anyone if we are never around anyone. Now, I look back at the last month of my life. Great majority of it, it's been... And for some of you, your job—guess what you do? You're in your car, you're driving. Because of our, the way we are, take a combination of technology, take a, a combination of—we're raising a bunch of people that don't have social skills. Are going to be socially awkward for the next three generations because they can they can talk to AI in their in our phone rather than real people, right? But we all can do that too. And you throw into there a little spirit of, I don't have time for anybody else or anything else. And guess what? We can find ourselves never really interacting with people. Sure, we like bump up against people's like force bubbles at Walmart. How you doing? I'm good, 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 good. And like everybody's like, no, everything's horrible. But I'm going to say, good, 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 right? And so we never really engage people. And what do you see Paul doing? Justin brought it out last week, but he reasoned in the synagogues. He reasoned in the marketplace, and here in verse 22, he is standing, notice what Luke says, in the midst of the Arapagus. He's in the middle of it. And that's where we find people that impact the world with the gospel. They're in the middle of it. You you don't find them running for the hills and jumping in the bunker and complaining about the world. You find them saying, well, you know what? Let's get in the middle of it works that way in the church as well. We can talk about people or we can get in the ditch with people. We can complain about a situation or we can bring gospel truth into the situation. And I just, I just bring that out just to, for, for application. Where was Jesus? Sure, everybody needs to sleep. I mean, even Jesus did in the boat. I mean, you know, there's times he went to Caesarea Philippi for vacation. Sure, there's times for all that. But where do you find Christ predominantly in his life? He's either pouring into the twelve, or where is he? He's among the multitudes. Like, where do we get it in our mind that if we're going to reach people, like, we have to be around them? (laughs) He went to where people were. But notice this. He also engaged people in their interests and pursuits. And you're going to see as we walk through this, Paul basically meets people where they are and you 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 will you will get to see Paul basically taking interest in what people do and he will take interest in where people are you read those watershed moments in your in your spiritual life where you learn something that's so simple and so true And uh, when I was a teenager, um, I don't think I was even a christian yet But john stocksill was my youth pastor and we went to visit this uh, this kid Um, he was he had come on and off to our youth group at highland And uh, I went with john and we went to to go visit visit him This is like late 90s where it's still appropriate to walk up to random stranger's door and knock on the door and stuff You know, so anyway, i'm like an eighth grader um like, my, my sphere of music is like audio adrenaline and DC talk and newsboys and, yeah. All y'all should say amen to some of that. So, anyway, we're sitting there and uh, we're talking and John goes, now I'm an eighth grader, you know, and, um, you know, when, when somebody gets saved, everybody goes and burns all their CDs, right? I mean, that's the context of the late 90s. So, John, John knows, John, John's talking to this guy and this guy talks about him, uh, he says he's playing guitar, and uh, he's been playing the guitar, and John's like, "Hey, man, you've been playing some Metallica. You've been playing some Inner Sandman." And it was like at that moment, like my youth minister knows about Metallica. I am, I am defiled at this moment. You know what I mean? And so I got in the truck, and I was like, "You listen to Metallica?" And he was like, "No." And I was like, "What'd you do that for?" He's like, "If there's a connecting point, guess what? I'm gonna connect." I mean, yeah, Inner Sandman's cool to get crunked to right before a football game. Okay. But I don't know. Anyway, maybe a liberty deal, maybe not. Anyway, the point was, there was a connection there to meet people where they are. The incarnation shows us that God didn't expect us to come to heaven. Where did he come? He came to meet us on our turf. Because people are dead in their sins and trespasses, we can't expect them to get all religious and come and sync up with us and, you know, come in here and just kind of, ask, and then we'll reach them. No, we see Paul genuinely taking an interest in where people are and he goes and meets them with the gospel. This is great for us, just the application. Why would people take an interest in your Jesus if you, don't, and, I, you and I don't take interest in their life? But isn't it amazing? Like you start looking around and you got all these like crazy connections with like lost people. <laughs> I mean, there it is across the street, right? There it is, ground zero for all personal relationships in Jones County, the sportsplex. There it is. We meet people, we engage them in their interests and pursuits. So Paul stands in the midst of the Arapagus and he starts this speech. And notice how he starts it. Men of Athens, I perceive in every way that you are very religious. The word religious there, it could be used in one of two ways. It was used sometimes to talk about, like in the negative, about like superstition. Like, oh, just that superstition. Everybody knows it's old wives tales and it's nothing. But it was also used sometimes to, to speak in a very positive way that somebody was very devout. I try to take it here that Paul starts that way rather than just like backhanding them out of the gate. Like you bunch of just nasty idolaters. Like he's not saying that. He meets them where their interest is. And that's what I want you to see secondly, how Paul goes into the message, not only where he went, but notice secondly, what he knew. What he knew. He meets them and notices that tells them how religious they are. And then he, he, he starts saying, hey, I was walking through your city. And now deep down inside, he's hurt by this. But he says in verse 23 that he was observing these different objects of worship. So he mentions in verse 22, they're religious. He mentions in verse 23 that they worship. He says in verse 23 again, whoever you worship is unknown, I'll proclaim him to you. Paul is showing us that he's very knowledgeable, at least on, the, on the, the, the level, but you'll see some more depth here in a minute, he knows where he is. He knows who he's about to talk to. He knows what's going on. Many times, our gospel witness may not be as effective, check this out, as it could be. Anytime we share the gospel, it's effective, okay, one way or the other. But, but let me just help you out. One of the ways that we can share the gospel better is that what we know, what we know about the situation, what we know about the people, we're going to unpack it here in just a second, but you see Paul being a master here of basically saying, how can I serve the gospel on the platter that it's not rejected just outright because of the way I'm doing it? People will reject Jesus, but we need people to reject the gospel, not because of how we present it, but because of what we present, right? Like not being able to ask somebody's question, just say, well, you're going to hell, like that doesn't work, okay? Might be true, but it doesn't work. Paul shows an effective way to share the gospel. First, what did he know? He knew his environment. He knew where he was. He's in a pagan environment. He's among intellectuals. And if you study this, I, I can't get to all this, but if you study it, you will see how he is preaching along the, the same lines as the Epicureans and the Stoics would argue. You can't just skip over something. you got to have a, this point that you make has to tie in directly to this point, has to tie in directly to this point. This is, this is logical genius from Paul right here. And he knows where he is. Notice, he did not quote the Old Testament in this speech at the beginning. How many times do we just start, well, the Bible says so? Well, guess what? The Bible does say it, but if somebody doesn't believe the Bible, guess what? They're going to dismiss your entire argument from the very beginning. No, that is not saying, Luke said we can't use the Bible. Luke said, I didn't say that at all. But when you begin with someone, how in the world are you going to start there if they don't even believe that? Does that make sense? You know, there's times that you can kind of just slip Bible in because it is the power of God and the salvation. It is living and active, sharper than two-edged sword, without like like saying, hey, let me give you 2 Timothy, da, 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 da. Let me give you Psalms, da, 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 da. And what I'm talking about is somebody that's like completely, that doesn't even have anything tracking. You can start speaking truth without having just to show your ginormous Bible knowledge and show it off to everybody. That makes sense. What he does is he starts general so that he may gain a hearing to get specific. Because check this out. Guess where this sermon ends? It ends with Jesus. He knew his environment. But secondly, he knew his audience. Justin walked us last week through the Epicureans and the Stoics. Just I got your, got your notes right here so that I didn't get off. Appreciate that. If you remember last week, the Epicureans were, they said God's distant. So kind of that idea of a watchmaker, like put stuff into motion and walk away. God doesn't care about humans. God doesn't care about our affairs. There's no afterlife. There's no judgment. So that, that's, that's part of his audience. The other part of his audience was the Stoics, they were fatalists. They thought everything was just a setup job, and so check this out. It really doesn't matter, so just get after it and have fun and do whatever you want. Please yourself. Become sufficient on yourself. So check this out. you got people who think God's far off and doesn't care, and you got some people that think it all depends on you. And so Paul preaches to both. <laughs> How does he do that? Notice what he says. down in verse 24. God who made the world and everything in it. He talks about God. Then down in verse 27, that we should seek God and perhaps we may feel our way toward him. In him we move and live and have our being. We are God's offspring. God has allotted where we live. And so you know what Paul does? Paul preaches a God who is very near. He presents a God that the Epicureans had no idea about because God doesn't care. He presents a God that cares. And to the Stoics, you know what he does? He presents a God that we must depend on because he made us. It's masterful, man. He knows where he is. He knows his audience. And isn't this interesting? He already tells them that they, in a sense, worship this God, but they don't know him. You know why he does that? This is really good. A.T. Robertson brought this out this week to me. Paul can't get accused of introducing some new religion. Paul can't get introduced of like, you know, um, defying Zeus or, or Hermes because what does he say? Hey, you already worship this God in theory. You just don't know who he is. This is masterful on every level. What's this mean for us? Do we try to shape our gospel conversations towards those that we're talking to. Now, content doesn't change. Substance doesn't change. Some people will accuse Paul of being hellfire brimstone at the end of this. I don't think sometimes that that is a bad way because that's what is needed sometimes. But the point is, Paul understood who he was talking to, and so guess what? He tried to shape it. Now, Now, let me... So, so what this teaches us practically is how we share the gospel matters. It matters. Is God sovereign? Absolutely. Is God omnipotent? Absolutely. Does, does God have to call people to repentance of faith? Absolutely. But check this out. God has decreed that you and I are the means by which he does that. And so it could just be the fact that you, you know someone and you know what they value and treasure in, your, in their life. And you striking up a conversation with them allows you to be able to share. I got this text message from a buddy yesterday. Now, this is hilarious to me. I mean, it's awesome, but this is absolutely hilarious. I text, some, I text a buddy something, and he just shot back like real quick. <clears throat> he didn't answer, and usually he, he will answer pretty quick. But he didn't answer. And the reason he didn't answer, uh, after a minute, he went, Say a prayer, sharing with a guy. And I know he texted it real quick because he put a period after A and the guy had capital G. So later on he went, was able to share. No change, but he may come to church. Now this is where it gets wild. Because this guy um, works in the banking industry, okay? I was able to turn a question about death metal into sharing the gospel. I asked if I could pray for him, and he let me. A lady walked up and joined us. I said, man, that's great. Where did you meet him? Burger King. It was crazy. I could literally feel the Holy Spirit telling me to talk to him. So I asked him about his shirt, and it went from there. I think Michael Tress would probably be happy that God uses death metal, you know? Josiah Jones, Braxton, you guys, on occasion, right? You know what? I'm going to take interest and I'm going to try to find a connecting point and I'm going to consider who I'm talking to and guess what? Boom, there it is. He knew his audience. But he also knew a way to engage them. This is where he gets awesome. Verse 23. I passed along and observed the objects of your worship. I also found an altar with this inscription. To the unknown God. Parthenon had... 12 main gods in there but thousands upon thousands of gods in greek mythology west jones in 10th grade miss pam hyatt gave us a semester exam it had a hundred blanks on it and we was literally characters from greek mythology and i've forgotten all that thankfully but all i knew is is there was a whole lot of gods and goddesses in greek mythology and it seems as if just in case they miss one They put altars throughout Athens and they would label them to the unknown God. Just in case. We don't want to tick anybody off. If there's somebody we don't know about, here's an altar we can proclaim to you. But there's something going on a little deeper here than this. There's a Greek biographer in the 3rd century B.C. that records... Something that happened 300 years before. There was a plague or a pestilence in Athens, and they didn't know what to do to get rid of it. And so, remember back in 16, the spirit of Python, you remember that? The, the Pythian oracle at Delphi prophesied to go get on the island of Crete this famous philosopher called Epimenides. And Epimenides comes to Athens, and the story goes, it's recorded. This is what the biographer says. Epimenides was known among the Greeks and was thought to be extremely beloved to the gods. For this reason, when the Athenians were once afflicted by a plague, they summoned him to Athens. He made it to Athens at the time of the 56th Olympiad in 596, and he cleansed the city. This is how he stopped it. He obtained white and black sheep. He led them, check this out, to the Areopagus and then allowed them to go wherever they wanted there. He ordered the people following them to sacrifice the sheep to whichever god was proper to the place where each sheep laid down. This is how the plague stopped. That's from the third century record. William Barclay, famous commentator, comments on it later, tells us that many such altars were constructed. And later on, They had fallen into disrepair, but by Paul's day, one of these had been restored to its original condition. And so, what had happened was, Epimenides had said, let these sheep loose, and whenever they were walking on the hill, wherever they laid down, guess what? We're going to build an altar there, and we're going to sacrifice to whatever god it is. Well, apparently, because of that, there were still altars in Athens, and they didn't know which god had intervened, so they just put a plaque on it and inscribed on it to the unknown god. And so, what's chilling here for Paul? There it is. There's the way to share the gospel. And isn't it interesting? He quotes Epimenides here in just a minute. He's going to quote him in verse 28. I mean, this is all. This is going in Paul's mind. This is crazy. And so, Paul's like, six hundred years ago, there was something that went down, and it was God paving a way so that on this day you would know about the living and true God. This is how God works. That was Paul's way to connect with them. He found a way to engage them. What's the way to engage people in your life? Paul knew this. But praise God, Paul also knew the gospel. That's what he gets to, right? If we're going to know our environment, if we're going to know our audience, if we're going to know a way to engage people, why? So that we can share the gospel. Do this this week, and you don't have to show anybody else. And you may want to share it with your small group. I want you to write down, and it can be just a paragraph. It can be a sentence. I want you to write down what the gospel is. Okay? Because it's one of those words that we think we know what it is until we're forced to define it. And I'm afraid sometimes what comes out of our mouth, right? It's not morality. It's not baptism. It's not good works. It's not try a little harder. The gospel is that Jesus came, Jesus died, Jesus was buried, Jesus rose again to save us because we cannot save ourselves. That's the gospel. I can use y'all for an example, ravens This is this is awesome. So we're in membership interview with Braxton and Jessica Rayburn, and so as in all the membership interviews, always just say, "Hey, what's the gospel?" And so Braxton goes in this like long apologetic. and just like this and that, and the existence of God and the moral law and. And like, we're, I'm not exactly, we're like three minutes in, and he still hasn't said Jesus died, Jesus buried, Jesus rose again. So I just said, hush. I just, in pastoral love, hush. Jessica, what's the gospel? Said Jesus came, Jesus died, Jesus was buried, Jesus rose again, and only Jesus can save us. And I said, dude, listen to your wife, man, there it is. There it is. If we're going to share the gospel, we got to know it, right? We got to know it. the bulk of the message then is what Paul preached and that's the last thing i want us to see this morning what did he preach what did he do what did he share in verse 23 what therefore you worship as unknown this i proclaim to you i'm about to tell you about who you've been missing in all your worship and all your religious and all your religion and everything guess what i'm about to tell you Who you miss the whole time. And what does he say? How does he start? Verse 24. The God. In contrast to a culture that had lots of gods. A God for this and a God for that and a goddess for this and a goddess for that. What does he say? The God. This is how Paul, what he preached. First, Paul preached God's self-existence and character. The God who made the world and everything in it. Notice that. God did not come from anyone or anything. Everything and everyone came from God. This is the one that has no beginning. Notice what it says. He being Lord of heaven and earth does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. I mean, you travel the world, you will see idols. And in front of idols in idol worship, you will see People, living people like you and me, bring flowers and coconuts and fruit. I'm sure they did this in Sri Lanka, actually. I mean, we've seen it in India. I've seen it in Myanmar. I actually saw it in Myanmar at the Golden Pagoda in, in Yangon, 300-foot golden-covered temple of worship, pagoda. And there's idols all around it. And I saw people taking a bowl and pouring water on the lips of an idol. And because there obviously is no mouth cavity and there's no esophagus and there's no throat, the water comes right back out. But our God reigns in the heavens. The gods of the nations have ears, but they cannot hear. They have eyes, but they cannot see. They have mouths, but they cannot speak. But all things and all peoples came from our God He's not served by human hands as though he needed anything. Why? Since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. God asks for our worship. Check this out. Not because he needs it. God asks us to pray not because he needs our prayer. God asks for us to obey him and glorify him not because he needs those things. God asks us to do those things so that it will directly connect us to him because he himself and he alone gives us what we need. And more than oxygen and more than food and more than sustenance and more than water and more than rest and security, we need him. See, Paul preached that it's God who is behind it all. My wife told me, and, and my sister-in-law told me, my, my little nephew, was he seven now, Lauren, is that right? Henry seven? Six? I should know that. I'm a terrible uncle. Um, he started asking questions like, where'd God come from? Some of y'all got those questions from your kids, right? Like, I was going to use it. I, I brought a book, but I won't read out of it. But to- Tozer basically says, A.W. Tozer says that, that when kids start asking that question, like, where does God come from? It's because everything in their, uh, everything in their mind traces back to something. And so when we say that God's uncreated, it's the first time that something in that category has popped into their mind. Like, that comes from this, and that comes from that, and that comes from this. But, but God, like, where did he come from? Well, he's always been there. Okay, new concept, new category, I don't get that. Exactly. I will read from Tozer. I just have to, sorry. Knowledge of the holy self-existence of God. God is self-existent while all created things necessarily originated somewhere at some other time. Aside from God, nothing is self-created. A little child must be told that God has no origin, and that he will find this hard to grasp since it introduces a category with which he is totally and wholly unfamiliar. The human mind being created has an un- un- understandable uneasiness about the uncreated. We tend to be disquieted by the fault of one who does not account to us for his being, who is responsible to no one, who is self-existent, self-dependent, and self-sufficient. He is unaffected by time or motion. He is wholly self-dependent and owes nothing to the worlds his hand have made. And Paul says, this God's completely different. Paul also tells them and he preaches that they were created for God. They were created by him and for him. He himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. He made from one man every nation on mankind to live all the face of the earth. Time out, by the way. There is only one race on earth. It is the human race. God loves diversity. We're told in heaven that diversity will still be visible. All peoples, all languages, all tongues, all tribes. This is why we pray for different people groups, because we pray that they will be brought in, because one day they and all their diversity will be before God. But this is crucial, like, there's only one race, the human race. We all bleed the same. We all created by the same God. God loves diversity and ethnicity. But he says, God created you, and notice this. It says in verse 26 that God determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place. Like, you live here because God said you're going to live here. Like, you're in the West because God said that. Man, it's a gift of grace that we have a Bible in our language. It's a gift of grace that we can meet on the Lord's day and not have to be, not, not face government sanctions. But God did this. And I often wonder sometimes if, as Jesus said, to whom much is given, much is required, how the American church will have to answer for things that other churches across the world won't have to answer for. Because guess what? We have so much more and we've received so much. man. Those who are first now will be last then. Those who are last now will be first then. But he he says, God did all this. Why? In verse 27, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. In the human heart, even though we are dead in sin, even though we are depraved, there is an echo of eternity in our heart. God, it says in the Old Testament, has put eternity in our hearts. That even the, the most hardcore atheist has to admit there is something about human existence that he cannot define with his intellect. There's a hole so deep that reason alone can't fill it. And that's what Paul is doing here. And Paul's even complimenting them. Even in your unknown God, guess what? God's here. He's there. Reach out and grab him. I mentioned that he quotes two of their own poets and Epimenides in verse 28, another in the end of verse 28. Then in verse 29, being then God's offspring, we, not, we ought not to think that God is, his divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. It's not our job to create God in our image. It is our job to submit and surrender and worship the God who created us in his image. So Paul preaches really quick, who God is and who we are. And the relationship there is not that man trumps God, but that God trumps man and man should submit to God. A couple more things that Paul preached. Notice that he preached repentance and the coming judgment. Verse 30. The times of ignorance God overlooked. Now what does that mean? Paul mentions this back in in his sermon earlier in Acts 14. It talks about how God gave witness. That's in Acts chapter 14. God allowed the nations to walk in their own ways. What Paul is saying is is that God didn't intervene in human rebellion. The old King James here, I think it says the times of ignorance, God winked at God. But you, this is, this is how gracious God is. Paul is saying, listen, God allowed you to live this way for a long time. not that there's not consequences for doing that, but God is now confronting you with the fact that you don't worship him. And so check this out. The gospel is good news in two ways. It tells us how we can be saved. It tells us how we can't save ourselves. It tells us what Jesus has come to do. But check this out. That in itself is God caring about us, confronting us, not overlooking us, coming straight at us. God overlooked your ignorance, but now guess what he's doing? He is commanding all people everywhere to repent. Man, it's there. Can I just tell you this? Repentance is an appropriate word anytime the gospel is shared. Do not be afraid of that word. And the reason we shouldn't be afraid of that word is Jesus used that word. His first, Jesus' first message in Matthew four seventeen was repent. His last message to the churches in Revelation is repent. It's a good word, okay? And you know why it's a good word? Because recommit doesn't work. Slightly improved doesn't work. God doesn't say, well, guess what? Just kind of like put a foot in my general direction and we're good. God says, no, about face, I am commanding you to turn in your self-worship and give to me that which is my due. And this is what Jesus said. Sure, there is a way to communicate repentance where we don't say, hey, I'm angry at you. <laughs> But the force of the word is there. And why are we called to repent? He talks about the coming judgment. Because God has fixed the day in which God will judge the world in righteousness. Not unrighteousness. There will be no victims of the day of judgment. On the final day of judgment, there will be not a single victim. The Bible tells us that in our sin, God is the victim and God is the judge. And the reason why we're called to repent now is because there will be no opportunity to repent then. And Paul is saying, you know why I'm here? I'm here to call you to repentance. God is being patient with you, giving you an opportunity to repent before the judgment. There needs to be, there must be, there has to be in our understanding of gospel communication and gospel work and a gospel church and a gospel life. The reason why we want people to be saved is because judgment is coming. We don't need to apologize for that. I think a lot of times people... A preacher will get passionate and he'll plead with people to get saved, or somebody will plead with somebody to get saved, and they'll talk about hell because Jesus talked about hell more than anybody else in the Bible, and they'll say that's hellfire, brimstone, and all that. All they mean is they they don't they don't by by saying that. Guess what they say? This is what they say. Sure, there are guys that like halfway through they could stop and change their suit out like fifteen times. Okay, and you listen to them and you are like, man, that dude doesn't care about anybody. I, I get that, but oftentimes. Quote, hellfire brimstone equates to I don't want you to talk about the fact that I am a selfish, self-centered individual who is full deserving of God's wrath and God has every right to judge me in hell for all eternity. And the truth is, is that Jesus took the wrath that I deserve. And Jesus took the punishment that I deserve. And the challenge to me, just thinking about this this past week, just frustrated with myself, the opportunities that we have, the times that we really don't get in the midst of the Arapagus and share because we're worried we're going to break that friendship. So we let people go to hell in order to preserve our friendship with them on earth. In the midst of the Arapagus, Paul's not trying to make friends. He's trying to save people's soul. There's a way to do both. I get it. And some of you care about people very deeply and for years you've been praying for them and you've had opportunities to share. Check this out, man. Keep going. Keep sharing. Keep sharing. Keep sharing. Keep sharing. Paul does get to Christ and that's the last thing he shares. God will judge the world by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given all assurance by raising him from the dead. He is about to get to Jesus and they interrupt, right? Just, it always happens that way, doesn't it? But Paul does mention the resurrection and we found out Justin brought it to our mind as well that he was already back in verse 18 preaching Jesus and the resurrection so we knew that if Paul didn't get interrupted here guess what he's gonna do he's gonna preach Jesus but he does talk about the resurrection and he does talk about how the fact that Jesus is the one that is going to judge the world that's the gospel right Paul gets to it when we open our mouths to share we got to talk about Jesus We have to talk about Jesus. I think in here also there's a few other things that we can consider. Paul's basically telling them that their religious activity won't save them, right? Being a good idolater is still being an idolater. Being really devoted to the temple is guess what? And check this out. The greatest danger in South Mississippi is not somebody worshiping a statue of Zeus. It's coming Sunday after Sunday to a local church and thinking that they're right with God when they're just filled with self-righteousness and morality and trying a little harder. Check this out. Surrender all of that and surrender to Jesus. He alone can make you right with God. How do we apply this? First, we cannot wait for people to come to us. We've got to engage them with the gospel right where they are. The great thing is (laughs) is that there's people all around us. Like we're in the midst of our own Arapagus day after day. A possible prayer today is God provoke me for the idolatry around me. God provoke me for the things around me where people place all of their stock and hope and trust that is not going to save them. Second point application, the gospel is true and sufficient to share in any situation with anyone at any time. That's what's amazing about the gospel. It's a perfect fit for every human heart. And it's a perfect fit for every situation. And there is never, (laughs) generally speaking, there is never a bad time to share the gospel. Paul shows us how to do it practically. I was in North India, I don't know, seven years ago, I think. Trips get foggy in my mind. And we had been hiking for several days, so we were sore the, next, uh, the, the last day. And so we got up, and, and in this uh, area, there was a hot spring that we used to go to. And uh, the Hindus had claimed it because Jesus is Lord over heaven and earth. You know, we can go swim in that hot spring. It's all good. So we were in there, and we were swimming, and it was just a bunch of dudes, and there were some college students that showed up, and uh, it was like four dudes, and so they spoke some English, and so we started uh, we started talking, and and uh, they were college students, and one of them was like, even though he was a college student, he had like been in a monastery for a little bit, so we just got talking, and I started hearing about him, you know, talking and all that stuff, and we we continued the conversation, well, eventually I saw it open, and I went for it, and started talking about Jesus, and <clears throat> tried to get him a Bible, and... Uh, and it was funny, we were, we were drying off. So I'm in my swimsuit. And one of them asked me this. He basically said, if Jesus is real, how do I call him? And I went, come here. So we're going to call him right now. These four students came over beside me. We all got on our knees, and I was dripping wet. And I just called on Jesus. And I began to pray over these guys. And I was just looking around. I'm like, I am in the middle of like this Hindu hot spring in my swimsuit. And it's a great time to share the gospel. Whatever midst you find yourself in, be like Paul. He didn't have backup that day. Silas and Timothy aren't there yet. He just walk around the city doing his best and God opens this wide open door Father we come to you and sometimes get frustrated with ourselves about how we can care more about the opinions of people more than you can care more about what people think of us and care more about <clears throat> people respecting us rather than just making known the unknown God Lord help us to get to know people and see those bridges that you provide in culture or just in life to be able to Open our mouth and proclaim who you are. God, I pray for me, for anyone else. I pray just to be provoked in my spirit, to be burdened for my city and my county, to care for people, that I would open my mouth and make known to them you. Lord, I am encouraged in the passage that Paul didn't get the same response that he did at Philippi. Just a few believed. Lord, sometimes we can measure the success of how many people listen. And God, I just really am encouraged that the goal that day was not to see that everybody turn. It was to make known to them. It was to share. It was to open their mouth. And God, I, I thank you that's how you judge faithfulness. And Lord, you would encourage some of our people even this morning that may be discouraged because it doesn't seem like when they open their mouth anybody listens, when they love on people that nobody cares. God, that they would rest in the fact that when we, when we share, we look to you and when we Lord, do what we can, Would you call us to obey? So God, I pray you'd encourage a brother or sister this morning. Church, as we sit before the Lord, how has God spoken to your heart through the scriptures? Maybe this morning you need to repent. God has overlooked your time of ignorance, but this morning you hear his call to repent. Repent of your religion, repent of your sin, repent of your self-righteousness. Justin and I will be at the back if you need to talk to somebody about your salvation, how Jesus can save you. Believer, maybe there's just somebody in your life that you're burdened for. You want God to provoke your spirit for their salvation. Maybe you've just been fearful and you want some courage. We'd love to pray for you in that, talk to you about that, hit us up. Let's stand. Let's worship this King. Jesus, we praise you. We thank you. We glorify you. Help us to be those that announce you to the world. And we ask it in Christ's name. Lead us, Daniel.